You are listening to a 14-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Gospels were only the beginning of all Jesus did and taught. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and this story is continuing today. This sermon series will address key themes in the book of Acts and connect them with our lives today. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I love the book of Acts and uh, love how we're working through it, seeing how God um, started something in this brand new church and that he's continuing to do that. There's unfinished business yet for us to do, and that's certainly true for uh, the passage we heard today in Acts 10. Um, and, And what we heard, read, comes at the end of an impre- a pretty incredible meetup that the Holy Spirit orchestrated uh, for Peter. And the Holy Spirit uh, is or- was orchestrating his life like he orchestrates our lives. Um, and Peter was pretty confused by all that was going on. Uh, he was spending some time on the coast um, and was going into a time of prayer and um, started feeling hungry. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody. As you go into a time of prayer, you start feeling hungry. That was happening to Peter, but he pressed through uh, the hunger. And um, then he sees a vision as he's praying. And the vision is of a sheet coming down, and the sheet is full of animals and reptiles uh, that Peter is forbidden to eat. So it's like a table is being set before him, and he's hungry, and it's like, wait, I can't eat that stuff. What's going on here? So he's perplexed, and then to make matters worse, he hears Jesus' Jesus's voice telling him, dig in, Peter, eat up, have at it. And he's um, confused. Because a good Jewish boy like Peter wasn't supposed to eat these things. He's never eaten them before, and uh, these were what were called unclean animals. He wasn't supposed to eat them. So um, to make, so he's sitting there confused. He hears Jesus' voice, not sure what to do. And then a knock comes to the door, and there standing at the door are a group of Gentile men um, who were unclean people that he wasn't supposed to associate with. And they're saying, hey, we came for Peter. You're supposed to come with us. And he's just... He's like, man, all I wanted to do is pray and maybe have a snack a little bit later. And uh, here we go, all this unclean uh, stuff showing up. Um, And what Peter experiences here isn't new. It's new to him, but it's not new to God. He he follows these Gentile men. They take him to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Roman, a Gentile, a soldier, a pretty powerful man who happened to also fear God. And, I th- and, and Peter starts to catch on to what's going on. So he's like, well, maybe the Holy Spirit wants them to hear the gospel. Um, so he shares the gospel with them. And then in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. And they start speaking in tongues and glorifying God. And Peter's like, wait, I haven't got to the bit about the Holy Spirit. I've only told you about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes. He's like, ah, I'm supposed to teach you. Oh. And then it's this like, he's like, well... Can anybody keep water from baptizing these people? So I guess uh, God's come to the Gentiles as well. Um, And like I said, this wasn't a new thing to God. God had been doing this for uh, thousands of years, but this was brand new to Peter. Peter was a a Jew who was the offspring of Abraham. 
and, and the Jews were set apart, distinct people. Um, and God called Abraham, and Peter realized that. Peter understood he was set apart, distinct uh, from the rest of the world. But what Peter forgot was that embedded in that promise to Abraham was a promise that these, these Jews, this set-apart people, would be a blessing to every nation on the earth, every fl- family on the earth. So I want to read that. It's out of Genesis 12. This is way in the beginning of the Bible. See how not new this is, what's going on with Peter? So God is calling Abram out. So this guy named Abram, who is later called Abraham, God is calling him out, and this is what he says. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's true for us as well. Because we've been cleansed, because we've been set apart, the Holy Spirit now moves us toward the blessing of all cultures, the blessing of all nations in Jesus Christ. This is the unfinished business that we get to participate in. What started there in Cornelius' room uh, now continues today as we see the Holy Spirit pushing us out to the blessing of all nations in Jesus Christ. So I just want to pause and pray that the Holy Spirit would do that as, as, as we consider uh, God's word today. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do just that. Move us, Lord, here in this room in St. Louis. God, move us to the blessing of all the families on the earth. In Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for marking us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for setting us apart. And I pray you do an incredible work in us, Lord. And just continue uh, what, you, what you're, you're doing all throughout the earth, Lord. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this has always been the plan. It's catching Peter off guard, but it's always been the plan. The grace and goodness of God was meant to go to the ends of the earth. And Peter sees the first fruits of that there in in Cornelius' living room. The Holy Spirit falling on non-Jews and them being included in the promises of God. It's, It's massively important and incredible what Peter's witnessing. So let's talk just briefly about this cleansing that happens. Because that's what this story is about. It's about clean and unclean things, right? Peter encounters unclean food, and then unclean people show up on his doorstep. And he goes with them, and then he witnesses the Holy Spirit baptizing them. And then they're baptized in water, signifying that cleansing that has gone on in their life. Right? This is a story about cleanliness. And we don't tend to use words like that today, right? Clean and unclean. That's, those aren't our categories, but it's still massively important for us. Don't think just because you eat shrimp and pork that you don't have categories like Peter had categories. We just don't tend to think of them like that. We have classifications to keep us from being someone we don't want to be or doing something we don't want to do. We still have these things. Why do we have those classifications still? I think because to be human is to know that things aren't right in this world. You might be a Christian, you might not be a Christian, but if you're a human today, 
you just intuitively know things could be better than the way they are. This world just isn't right. Maybe it's a Facebook update from a friend who's battling cancer. Maybe it's wars that you hear about on the news. Maybe it's the divorce that you're going through or the stuff happening in our city, the tension existing. You just, we just know things could be better than they are. So that's our human perspective on it. And God shares that perspective. He agrees, yes, things aren't right, but God knows why they're not right. And the reason things aren't right is sin. Sin destroys, sin tears apart, sin kills, right? God created the world good and right and didn't intend for sin to ruin things. So God sees, yes, things aren't right. I agree with you, but I see why. And the reason is sin. That's God's perspective on the problem. And he communicated this by calling Abraham out of it, right? He, he called a, dis, a people to be distinct and set apart, just like we read a minute ago. And the offspring of Abraham were Jews. And God gave them laws and ordinances to ensure that they remained distinct and set apart, so to, to ensure that they were different from the other cultures in the world. God was communicating that there's a distinction here. He's communicating how bad things are and how difficult it is for us as humans to make things right again. Because those laws were difficult to keep. A lot of them were purity laws about how to clean yourself if you touched something unclean or did something unclean or what to eat to make sure that you remain distinct, or how to prepare yourself to worship God. And those things, those laws were very difficult to keep, so difficult that when when Israel would draw near to worship God, they had to sacrifice an animal. Because even after trying to keep the law and keep themselves distinct, they still fell short. They weren't set apart enough, so they had to kill something to atone or cover over they're falling short, their sin. And that was Peter's understanding. That's where Peter was coming from, right? He was a good Jewish boy. He understood that he was set apart and distinct, right? And then he shows up at Cornelius' house, and we see him begin to get it, right? He, the light bulb starts coming on because he doesn't preach to Cornelius about food, right? Even though that's the vision God gave him. If I woke up this morning and had a vision you better believe I would think, okay, I must share this this morning. <laughs> I just had a vision, and I'm going to tell you about it. But Peter doesn't do that because it wasn't about the food. It never was about the food. Peter understands, hey, I've been making a distinction between clean and unclean food, but even more importantly, I've been making a distinction between clean and unclean people, something that God isn't doing. Because when he opens his mouth, what does he say? He says, I see now God shows no partiality, but that in Every nation, somebody who does what is right and fears God is acceptable to God. So God perplexes Peter's mind to expose something going on in his heart, right? God will offend our minds and our mental categories for things to expose something taking place in our heart. Peter was making a distinction between people, something God wasn't doing. And God communicated that to him by offending his mind and showing him food that he wasn't supposed to eat. He says, don't call unclean what I've made clean, Peter. 
So Peter shares the good news with them. He explains Jesus and that God grants forgiveness not based on behavior or outward things or cultural customs, but that that God grants acceptability to us based on faith. And then this, the, and Peter has this big shift that takes place when he realizes, hey, God hasn't made a distinction anymore. I've been making the distinction. God is not making the distinction. And um, we, we, we read Paul in Romans talking about that because the churches were still wrestling with this and talking about should we eat this, should we not eat that, uh, you know, what should we do. Some people think, you know, uh, I shouldn't drink that, but... Other people's consciences are clean. And he, talks, he tells them, don't pass judgment any longer. And then, and then he says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. This kingdom of God thing, this following Jesus thing that we're about here, it's not a matter of outward things, eating and drinking. The priority is given to the inner life of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the priority for the kingdom of God. Our acceptability is given to us not based on our cultural customs or what we do or don't do, but by faith, by grace, we're, we're made acceptable to God. So that's how we are cleansed. But this inner change, this inner righteousness that's given to us, will it have effects on our outward life? Will it affect what we actually do in life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our entrance into this thing isn't a matter of our behavior But once we receive that cleansing, our behavior starts changing, right? Now push pause for a second and just take note of where your mind went when I said that the inner righteousness will affect your outer behavior. What did you start thinking about, you know, when I said that, you know, it'll it'll affect how you behave? Probably most of us, our minds went to some matter of personal holiness, sinning less, Maybe not cussing so much or giving more money to the church or behaving better with your girlfriend, right? We, we tend to think of these matters of personal holiness when I say that the inner righteousness will, will, will have effects on our behavior. But what happened to Peter when he realized this? Did he just go back to observing the clean and unclean food laws and trying to keep himself pure? No. The, the, his, the trajectory of his life, the mission of his life drastically shifted. And that's what I'm more concerned with us about uh, today. Of course, avoid sin, flee from it, don't let it entangle. But when we receive this inner cleansing, the mission statement of our life should change drastically. You got to hear me on this. Being cleansed, right? Being cleansed from our sin means that we will become more and more concerned with getting more and more people close to Jesus that they might be cleansed. That inner cleansing, the priority becomes, the mission becomes getting more and more people close to Jesus that they might be cleansed more than being concerned about my own cleansing, right? Remaining pure is not your job, Jesus will finish the good work in you. He has made you clean. Now, he says, shift your trajectory, your mission statement toward mine. That's what happened to Peter. 
he realized, well, the mission of God is much grander than I imagined. God has come to the Gentiles as well. His mission shifted. Before Jesus, the the offices of Mike Young's Life Incorporated had a mission statement on the wall. And it said something like, the mission here is to be a really good guy, be nice to people, and look good, and hopefully make a lot of money in the process. That was the mission statement of Mike Young's Life Incorporated. And the temptation for me is to receive this inner cleansing, right? Put my faith in Jesus, and then take Jesus and try to cram him into that mission statement. Like, okay, that's the mission of my life. Now, Jesus, you're going to help me get there. You can be really handy in making me look good and be a nice guide. And maybe a little bit of money along the way, right? That's the temptation for me, is to try to fit him into my mission statement. But the reality is that when I receive that inner righteousness, entrance into the kingdom of God, I died. Mike Young's life incorporated was shut down 15 years ago, and that mission statement torn off the wall. And that's what we witness in baptism, right? That's why they go all the way under. They're identifying with his burial And then they come up into new life. When we put our faith in Jesus, we die. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live to Jesus. This is his life. And his mission statement should adorn the walls of my life now. That's the shift. It's it's small, but it's it's massively important. That's what happened uh, to Peter. The, The trajectory of his life shifted. And that happened to Paul, too. He, he writes to the Corinthians in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, um, starting in verse 19. He, he, he says, though I'm free from all, I've been made free, I made myself a servant to all. He says, though I've been, I've been bought out of slavery, I put myself back into slavery that I might save some of them. He says to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win some. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win some. To those not under the law, I became as one not under the law, that I might win some to Jesus. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Do you see the mission statement changing for Paul? I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I will do anything, is what Paul is saying. I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul's life mission statement changed. He realized that now that I'm clean, I will be concerned with getting more and more people clean rather than keeping myself clean. Has your mission statement changed because of the inner righteousness that you've received? Or are you just continuing to follow your own set of purity laws? to keep yourself sinning less. And again, I'm not promoting sinning more. I'm just saying the priority is given to getting more and more people close to Jesus. We must do anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel. That's our only line is sin, right? Not cultural barriers, not race, not money, not language. Those are no longer barriers, We will do anything. That's what Paul's saying. I will do anything that I might win them. I'll become anyone you want me to become that I might win some of you to Jesus. And that's not unique to Paul. That's that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Because we've been cleansed, because we've been set apart, guys, the Holy Spirit now moves us to the blessing of all cultures in Jesus Christ. 
So our cleansing comes not from behavior or cultural customs, and the effect of the cleansing is that our mission statement changes, right? The trajectory of our life shifts toward getting more and more people near Jesus. But what about those barriers? They're real, right? It's not pretend. It's not like you just waltz into any culture and just like, I don't see any color or language or different customs. They are very very real. We can't ignore them. How do we walk this out then as a community, realizing that we do have barriers, but the Holy Spirit is calling us to move past them, to reach people? First, I think we got to take account of the barriers. You got to at least recognize what is standing in the way for you. For Peter, it was bacon, shrimp scampi, pulled pork sandwiches. That's not the problem for us. In fact, um, on Friday, I had the best pork chop of my life for research purposes, you know, for the, for the sermon. It's just like, thank you, Lord, for the new covenant. I will have some more bacon, please. Why don't you go ahead and wrap that pork in bacon? That, that, I'd love that. But you got to take account, guys, uh, of what your bacon is. What is the bacon that's keeping you from loving and reaching other cultures? What are those barriers? Are, are they political? Do you have political bacon in your life? Like, how many friends, do you, do you have genuine friendships with people that vote differently than you? I'm not talking about ignoring it. We're not supposed to be like, la, 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 I'm colorblind and I don't know that you voted for him. We're not supposed to ignore it, but can you really be friends with somebody that votes differently than you? Or race, is race a barrier? Do you feel awkward around people of di- a, a different race? Or maybe it's certain habits that people have, like smoking or uh, enjoying alcohol. Is that something that just keeps, just repels you? Like, I, I just can't be around those people. I'm a, I'm a former alcoholic, and I just I want nothing to do with them. Is that, is that the bacon that's keeping you from loving people? I'm not talking about participating with people, but loving, reaching them, connecting with them. Or maybe it's something visible with their appearance, tattoos or piercing? Like, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you meet somebody with a face tattoo? Do you think like, I just can't wait for you to babysit my children? <laughs> or you, you and me, we're, we're not so different. I just met a guy with a face tattoo, and I was just like, don't act weird, just pretend like it's not there, act cool, Mike, act cool. It's difficult, right, when you meet somebody of a different culture, And I'm not talking about just being cordial. We're talking about entering in to these cultures that we might win some of them. Or maybe it's nationality. I've been really surprised at how many Bosnian people live in South City. Like they're of a different nation than mine. In some places in the city, they're not even trying to be American. They're happy to be Bosnian together. And it's different. Is that the bacon for you, a different nationality? Or even bigger is religion. I mean, that's, that's a tough one. There's a lot of Muslim people in this city. Are any of them your friends? Or are you just praying, God, send them visions in the night and dreams, and we'll send flyers their way, and I hope you save some of them. Now, if they're going to come to know Jesus, it's going to be through friendship, right? Can we be friends with people that worship differently than us? That's, that's tough bacon right there. A different religion, Right? But we got to believe that, that Muslims aren't as far off as we think, right? We got to believe that Jesus is calling some of them to himself, to know him. 
And are we just going to hold on to our uncomfortableness and allow them to spend eternity separated from God? Are we going to get through that barrier and be friends with them? That is a big one, religion, right? Or maybe it's socioeconomics. Like, are you able to be friends with somebody who has a lot more money than you? Or do you just feel like strange around them? Like, I don't know how to talk to you. Or even more, probably somebody who has a lot less than you. Are you able to enter into their life, be friends, and not feel like you have to help them all the time? Or that is it you're just realizing that, you know, we have a lot different things? Can you be connected to somebody of a different socioeconomic level than you? That could be your bacon. We got to first take inventory of these things. We got to acknowledge that they're real, right? And they exist. And realize that these are all what's that I, that I described. These are all things. Tattoos, religion, language, race. It's a thing. But behind that what is a who. And that who needs to know Jesus. And that's the problem with barriers. They keep us from people. People that God loves and wants them to know him. Realize that behind those what's are who's. What's the bacon that's keeping you from really loving people? And after we acknowledge that, if we, we see, I got some real cultural barriers, I think some motivation, like the why. We're not just trying to love culture for the sake of loving culture. I'm not promoting like, hey, you just need to eat more Bosnian food and you're doing great. Like we're not just loving culture for the sake of loving culture, Right? But we here in St. Louis in 2014, we are actually participants in God's glorious plan to bless every nation, every culture in Jesus Christ. We're we're getting to actually participate in it. It's incredible. That, That promise that God gave Abram thousands of years ago, none of us were there. We are experiencing the fruit of that promise today. In St. Louis, we get to participate with God as he blesses every nation in Jesus Christ. We get to take the gospel to the nations. And the marvelous thing, as God's sovereign hand writes this glorious story, that right now in history, God is actually bringing the nations to us. I don't have to get on a plane and raise thousands of dollars to go reach Bosnian people. They are here on our doorstep. I have to cross the street to reach the nations. It is remarkable. No time in history is like this, that we actually have the nations colliding in cities. It's not just the missionaries that, that, that you know, raise a bunch of money and head off into to the jungles to, to preach the gospel. I still think that's necessary, but we're all missionaries. It's like the mission fields just come here. It's like, whoa. We are participating, guys, in, in God's covenant to Abraham. Who, wh- what did I do to deserve this? What a gift of God that I get to participate in this. And especially now, especially now, there are many eyes on St. Louis regarding racial and cultural tension, right? The whole country's looking here. And I gotta wonder, I gotta wonder if the church has an answer for it. Are we just supposed to remain passive and lay low and hope it all blows over? No. Jesus has an answer for cultural and racial tension. And his answer isn't just, let's get along, let's stop the protest, stop the discrimination. We are the world. We are the children. That's not his answer. 
That's, that's the best the world has to offer. That's their best solution, is let's get along, let's stop the hate. And most people would be satisfied. But Jesus' answer is not that the two men would get along. Where there was tension, now that they'd get along. But Jesus' answer is actually to make one new man. Where there was hostility and division. In himself, on the cross, he has destroyed the dividing walls of hostility. So as to create one new man. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're participating in. That at the end of this story, we are looking forward to every nation. Every language, every race, every culture, every socioeconomic strata gathered around the throne. And seeing Jesus and saying, worthy. You're worthy. You've made one new man where there was division and war and racism and hate and tension. You haven't just helped us to get along better. You've made us one. One family. And we participate in this. That's the outworking of the gospel. That's why we've been cleansed. The Holy Spirit, yes, has set us apart, but not to just remain protected and clean and safe, but to actually send us back out that we might win some to know him. And I want to read this passage for us. It's out of Ephesians. And I I, I believe that this is what God is, is doing through this for us. It's Ephesians 2. I don't want you to turn there. You just got to believe me. I'm reading out of the Bible. <laughs> Close your eyes and just receive what God I- is doing here. Maybe he's putting his finger on something specific in your life. Some particular bacon that's just keeping you from reaching people. And let's rest in his grace and the gospel and what he is accomplishing. This comes right after that famous passage that it says you've been for grace, you've, by grace you've been saved, not by works. And then he says, therefore, because you've been saved, because you've been cleansed, because you've been set apart, therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Remember that you were separated. We were on the outside alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember that, guys. But now, he writes, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 